Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to be looking at verses 7 through 19, but I do want to just back up into verse 6. It's such a great verse um, and, and get a little bit of run. I'll read a few verses. I'm <clears throat> not going to go all the way through reading right now. And um, we actually didn't get down to verse uh, 19. We're only going to make it to verse 16. So that's where we're headed. Let's read. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, and we'll just stop there for now. So we're going to consider Noah, Abraham, and Sarah. As you look at verse 7, of course, most of you are familiar with the story of Noah. Uh, Noah and the ark, right? The great flood that came upon the earth. You can go to Genesis chapter six and read about this. But the Lord warns and tells him, hey, I'm bringing judgment upon this world. You read in Genesis that the thoughts of man had become only evil continually. It was, and that he was sorry that he had even made man. But he found one man that was, uh, had grace in his sight and it was Noah and he says, I want to use you. And so he gives him plans to build a, the Titanic in his backyard. And, um, and he builds it. For what we think is somewhere around 100 or 120 years. If you look at the genealogy in Genesis and his life, you kind of come up with, oh, it was around 100 years that he did this. Peter tells us that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. So this was quite a guy. I mean, this is an incredible amount of faith, don't you think? I mean, imagine God showing up to you and saying, all right, I want you to cut down this forest right here and I want you to build a big, big boat because a flood's coming. Well, what's a flood? A flood is the entire world is going to be covered with water and anything that draws breath is going to die. I want to preserve you. I want to preserve this animal world. And so I'm going to bring all these animals to you. And imagine having had that encounter. You don't have a Bible there was no seminary. There was no church. There's nobody had built a boat before. There, you know, nobody had gone through this. And he hears it and he's like, I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll build this boat. I'll build this ship. And I will bring all these animals in. He was a man that had great faith. Noah believed judgment was coming. Well, how do you know that? He built a boat. I mean, that's how you know. Who does that? In that stage of history, who would have done that? He did this because he believed that God was going to do that, and he was moved with godly fear, we read, and he was able to save his household. After 100, 120 years of preaching, it is only his household, only his household, seven other people that ended up having faith and trust in the Lord. That's a long time to preach to hear nobody respond. Now, I'm sure he would tell you those were his seven favorite people on planet Earth. And so he was probably very glad that they did. But 
This is what he did. The, the, the rest of the world ignored him. They mocked him. You can imagine people just coming. What are we going to do today? I don't know. Let's go look at what's Noah up to. Let's go over there and make some more jokes and make fun of him. And they would have mocked him. They would have ridiculed him. What are you building this for? Because God is going to judge the world because of wickedness. Oh, come on. Get out of here. We, that's not going to happen. Now, Jesus tells us that when he returns... And judgment is about to fall upon this earth. He says it's going to be just like the days of Noah, and it's going to be just like the days of Sodom. Let me read to you. It's Luke chapter 17, verses 26 through 30. And as it was in the days of Noah, so it will also be, so future days, future days from where we even are now. And so it will be also in the days of the Son of Man. They ate, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. And then he goes on, he gives a similar kind of assessment of Sodom. The point is, just like it was in the days of Noah, just like it was in the days of Sodom, is going to be like that when I return. Well, what was it like? Business as usual. That's what it was like. They were eating, they were drinking, they were getting married. They were going through the things you do in regular life. And they didn't expect it. They were not looking for the coming of the Lord, even though um, uh, there was a prophecy that was given, right? There was a prophecy that was given, and Noah is, is declaring They didn't believe it. And so in our day, we are the ones that get to preach. We are the ones that have been divinely warned that judgment is coming. Now, sometimes we say these things, it's like, does it really sink in? You are a Noah. You are a Noah. The Lord has told you. You have it. Revelation 6 through 19. Matthew 24, 25, and 26. These verses tell us, these chapters tell us about the judgment is coming. I, I would imagine for most of you, not, you're not surprised. When I say the judgment is coming, you're like, well, yeah, judgment is coming. You've heard it before, you know it, but you know it because God has told you. You don't know that because you found it in some other book. You know it because God has spoken to you, his servant. And Amos, it says that God does nothing without first telling his servants, the prophets, what he's going to do. We know, how, we know what the, what's going to happen in the world. Now, we don't know what day. Okay, we don't know all the details, but we have a lot of details. We know what's going to take place. And it's our job. It's our opportunity now to be a preacher of righteousness. I mean, Noah so pleased the Lord that he wanted to bring attention to him again. He says, by the way, all this talk about faith, think about my servant Noah and how faithful he was that hearing this, he simply responded in obedience and began to do it. Noah prepared himself for the judgment. How was that? Well, he built the ark. He built this. And again, you can imagine nobody had ever built a ship before. There had never been a flood before. This has not happened on planet Earth. And now he's walking this out. But I want you to consider the coming judgment upon the world that we look at. And God has provided an ark, and that ark is Jesus Christ. 
And even as that ark was gonna be lifted up on the waters and those that entered in in faith and belief into that ark in Noah's day, how they would be saved, so it is. Those who come to Jesus and look at him, how he was lifted up on a piece of wood as well, there's rescue and there's safety in him and him we preach. We must preach him. We must communicate. Second Kings 7, 9. Here's an interesting verse. I get to give you a little bit of backdrop, but the days are in Samaria and Northern Kingdom and there is a siege that is happening. The Syrians have surrounded them. It is so bad. This is that when we read in scripture that there, there was such little food that they actually were selling bird droppings. That's, that's pretty bad. And it gets worse, but I'll leave it for another time to get into the details of that. And there were these lepers. They were on the outside. They couldn't be inside the city. So if they're starving inside the city and the lepers are responsible for the generosity of those that have the storehouses and the storehouses is empty, imagine how bad it would have been for them. And so they come to this conclusion. They say, you know, why sit here until we die? If we, we, there's no food coming over the wall. They have no food in there. If we just sit here, we're going to die. So I tell you what, let's go into the camp of the enemy, the Syrians, and let's see what they'll do. So they make their way into the camp of the Syrians. And as they get there, the tents are all empty. The food is being cooked. The table is set. They find all this gold. They find all of this clothing. The Syrians had been scared by the Lord. The Lord basically went into the camp and said, boo, and they all ran away. True story. You can read it on your own. 2 Kings 7, 9, this is what we read. These men saying, after they're sitting down, eating and getting the clothes and bearing this gold, then they said to one another, we are not doing right. This day is a day of good news, and we remain silent if we wait until morning light, some punishment will come upon us. Now, therefore, come, let us go and tell the king's household. Does this sound similar? <laughs> can, can, you, can you see where we're going with this? We've been given good news. I mean, that's good news, but we've been given great news. We've been told that God has sent his only son and has died upon the cross. And that we've been rescued from spiritual starvation. That we've been given all the riches of, of heaven, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places has been given to us. And now we have the opportunity to go and proclaim it. And when we don't proclaim it, Noah, a preacher of righteousness, proclaiming it, these guys, they're not preaching some spiritual lesson. It's just a lesson of like, this will help you live. But if that's true and valid just in the, in the physical life, and we have this expectation just being a good human on planet Earth, that if something good is happening, it can help and preserve somebody else's life, we feel the obligation that that news should be shared, right? You should share that. If you have the cure to cancer and you're not sharing that, that's not a good thing. When people find out that you hid the cure to cancer and you didn't want to tell anybody, don't expect that you're going to be applauded. When 9-11 happened, when the terrorists flew their planes um, into the field there in Pennsylvania, into the Pentagon and the Twin Towers, there was, some of you are, you, you can't, you don't really remember what was going on. You were too young to remember what was happening. 
but a lot of you do. And you can remember the question was, how could this happen? How could this happen? How is it that we didn't know that there was this plot and this plan? And then it became, who's responsible? Who should have known this? Who was watching? And why didn't we know? And of course, they went through this long investigation. But imagine if they would have found this in the investigation is that we knew, we knew the names of the people, we knew the flights they were on, we knew their plans, we had communications, we had it all there, but we decided at the last minute, if we do this, it's gonna disrupt air travel. It's gonna disrupt the morning commute into New York City. And that's gonna be really problematic. So you know what, we don't wanna upset people, so we're not going to share this news. Do you know what would have happened to those people? If you would have released them on on the streets of New York City and you would have said they knew but they didn't want to, they would have been dead. The the crowd would have just, there were no mercy for them. Because there's a sense of whoever is the watchman on the wall, you've got to warn, you've got to do your job. If your job is to find out the threats and then communicate them out, why didn't that happen? If that's true for this kind of a situation, how much more for the kingdom of God? And so when we read these words, we are not doing right. The day is a day of good news. We live in the age of grace. We live in the day of good news. The good news has been shared with you, and if it hasn't, here you go. You're a sinner separated from God, as we all are. Separated from him because of our sin, because of our selfishness, because of wanting to do things our own way. Wanting to please our flesh rather than pleasing God. And that judgment brings certain death and separation from God for all of eternity. But God loves you. Did you hear that? God loves you. He created you to have fellowship with him, not to be judged by him. So what can he do? He's a just judge. He can't overlook a crime, the crime of sin in your life and my life. So he sends his son to be the one to stand in place for you. And he poured out his justice against your sin to my sin in the body of his son, Jesus Christ, as he hung on the cross. Our sin was judged there, and everybody who puts their faith and trust in Jesus Christ will will receive the forgiveness of sins and will not live forever in the lake of fire for eternity. That's good news. And most of you in here know this good news. You've embraced this good news, and I have too. And the question is, are we doing right? Are we sharing? Are we communicating? Well, you know, people don't want to hear. You know what? It doesn't change. It doesn't change the fact that we're supposed to share. You coming to the conclusion that people don't want to hear is not your conclusion. Do you want to know who said people don't want to hear first? Jesus. Jesus told it was was going to be like this. He's like, they're not going to, they didn't like me. I'm better than you, so they're not going to like you. They're not going to receive what you have to say. If they don't receive me, the king, they're not going to receive you, the servant. But I want you to go. So their response, we don't know what the response is going to be, but we go and we preach and we proclaim, and that is our responsibility. That is our privilege. That is what we've been entrusted with. Noah was faithful to do that. I mean, you think about the, how few resources Noah had, spiritual resources he had, and yet he did that. For 100, 120 years, he preached. At the end of the day, 
only his family and a whole lot of furry animals went on the boat with him. That was it. And so I pray that we'll be challenged. We know judgment is coming. We know the Lord's going to return. And it's our job to warn as many people as we possibly can. Well, yeah, but we don't want to sound like those people that are saying that the, you know, the, the end is coming. But it is. The end is coming. Do we, we don't know when, but it's coming. And so we are the ones, we're the watchmen on the wall. We're, we're those, you know, lepers that just, you know, hit, you know, pay dirt. We, we have the gold, we have the clothes, we have all of these blessings. What are we going to do with it? Are we going to go and hide it? Or are we going to go and let people know, hey, there's good news. There's food out here. There's, there, you can live. And so I pray that we'll find that place in our hearts to, to love the world we're in enough to open our mouth and to share the good news of Jesus Christ. And expect that many will mock you and they will ridicule you. They'll laugh at the, the, the statement of finding salvation in Jesus just like they mocked and laughed at Noah. This is what Jesus said. Blessed are you when they persecute you and revile you and see all kinds of evil against you. For so they persecuted the prophets that were before you. That's not a bad group of people to be lumped in together with, don't you think? And so let's do this. Well, I, I just believe that, you know, we just, we, you know, we just live it out and then, you know, I'll let the light shine. But what if they think that you're just a good person? What if they see that you're so kind, you're so loving, you're such a good wife, you're such a good husband, you're such a good employee, but you never mention the name of Jesus? And what if they come to the conclusion, man, I was about to get saved because I thought there's no way I can live a good life. But now I look at you and the way you live such a good life, you never mention Jesus. So obviously it can be done apart from Jesus. I'm not going to accept him. They need to see the light. Okay. Yes. Live it out. But they also need to hear the They need to see the sermon. They need to hear the sermon. It's both of these things. So I pray that we'll be challenged to be like Noah. And as we move into verse 8, we come to Abraham and Sarah. And we see another great example of faith. So let's read that. It says, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out, and if you like to underline, here are two words you need to underline, not knowing. He went out not knowing where he was going. Abraham, where are you going? I don't know. I'm going that way. Well, where are you going? I don't really know. But God met with me. Which God? Well, he's a God that you can't see. There's no image. He's a, he's a creator of the universe. Who's that? He met with me and he told me to go, I'm going to go. And, and so he left Ur of the Chaldeans. Now listen, Ur of the Chaldeans was the most progressive and prosperous city in the world at that time. That's what many people believe. He was leaving the hub of everything. He was leaving his father's uh, wealth. He was leaving his family and his friends and he left. Faith to step out into the unknown. That's what he did. And this is what the Lord calls us to do. The Lord will call you to step out into things and you aren't going to fully understand it. You're not going to fully know. You're going to know that you're supposed to take a step, but the details will come later. Just go and see what happens. 
See what takes place. You know, years ago, um, we felt like we were supposed to be helping out widows and orphans, and we began to pray. We prayed for like, um, I think it's close to two years, and then finally we just felt like we're supposed to go over to Nepal. We went over to Nepal, and we helped out uh, a ministry over there for a long time. And as we were there, the Lord shifted our our focus, and then we began um, to do pastoral training. And, but when we got on the plane to go, we didn't know what we were like, what are you going to do? We're going to go over there and we're just going to see what happens. We're going to get out there on the streets. We're going to start talking to people. Well, hopefully we'll meet some pastors. And so we got over there and that's happened. And now, you know, the Lord has um, uh, raised up, you know, a ministry um, led by Nanda and Lisa Geary. And they have worked hard and they've trained 700 to 1,000 pastors now. We didn't know. We didn't know that. We didn't know that. All we knew was there's there's some need over there, and we need to go and we need to step into this and let's see what the Lord does. He'll lead you places, and you're not going to have it all laid out. Now, sometimes He will, but I I tell you, a lot of times you're not going to know because God wants us to walk by faith, not by sight. So he stepped out in the unknown. He went away. And then, but stepping out in faith is one thing. But look at verse 9. He also had faith to wait. By faith he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. So it's interesting. Verse 8, he steps out and he doesn't know where he's going. But once he gets there, now he has to have faith to stay there. Sometimes it's easier to step out into the unknown than it is to stay in a place where God has led you and you're not seeing the fulfillment. You're not seeing the full picture of what God has in mind. And you, got, you have to have faith to step out, but you also have to have faith to stay. And, and this can be, in some, some cases, that can be more difficult than the initial step to go. I think it partly is going to de- Depend on who you are, what your personality is like. I find it easier to step out into the unknown because I find it exciting. It's just kind of like, well, let's go see what happens. Let's see what's going to take place. I know God's going to show up, and that's easy. And there's a, there's a sense of that's, like that's immediate. But now faith to stay, that can be a year or two years or five years or ten years. It could be your entire life to stay on task with what God has shown you to do. And so it was not just Abraham, but now it was Isaac and Jacob. All right. So a couple of generations later, the reality of the promise was still not realized, and it would not be realized for several hundred years. Well, not several, but 400 years it was going to take before they would actually inherit the promised land. I want you to compute that. We haven't even been around as a nation that long. And yet this guy and Sarah, they leave their land, and they go, and they stay. And then the next generation says, we'll stay and we'll wait. And the next generation says, we'll stay and we'll wait. And so here we are, generations away from those who have been staying and waiting for the return of the Lord. And we must remain and we must stay put in our faith and not move away from that. But also just in the work that he calls you to do. Uh, You know, when we moved out here, 
Um, some of you know the story. Some of you are part of the story. Um, when we first came out or calling us out, there's a handful of people that were still around when we had our very first service. Um, and when we did that, when, when we left, it was scary. I mean, I, I was ready for it. I liked the adventure of it. But, you know, when I quit my job at Calvary Chapel Vista and Brian said, all right, that's it. It's on your own now. And we walked away. And we were walking away from a church we love, our friends, our family. We were, you know, we walked away from a paycheck. We didn't know if anybody was going to show up. There was a lot. There was a step of faith. And, you know, a few people began to come. But oh, listen, over the years, you're sitting here and it's like, man, there's no room in here. Well, that was not the problem for a long time, let me tell you. Like, there's too many people here. Ah, oh, it's music to my ears. Because for so long, it's like, yeah, we got plenty of room. And so, you know, when we were there, there were times, there was, you know, one year, five years, 10 years, 15, 20 years, where, I mean, the Lord was blessing and we were growing. But I had to have faith to stay. I had faith to come here, but then I needed faith to stay here. So as opportunities came up to you know, go here or go there or step out, it was, it was always the same. The Lord's like, no, you stay. And so maybe you're in that place right now where you've stepped out, you're in this position. He's like, yeah, I stepped out, but I just don't see it yet. Yeah, that's very biblical. It's very biblical. And what if your step of faith is not going to even be realized in your lifetime? What if it's going to be like Abraham? Now listen, I believe Abraham was well aware there in, you know, um, in the presence of the Lord. I, be I believe he was well aware um, or, and is well aware of the nation of Israel that came into that land. It's like, see, Abraham, look what I did. Yeah. I didn't think it was going to take you 400 years, though. I'm just saying that when you called me, I thought this was going to happen. Galatians 6, 9, let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Verse 10, for he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. So he, he waited for the heavenly city. You know, it would have been great if he could have got earthly Jerusalem, but that didn't happen in his lifetime. That didn't happen until the days of King David that they actually got Jerusalem. So his, his gaze was set on another eternal city. He knew how the story was going to end. It was going to end in the presence of the Lord. He never saw the fulfillment of the promise given to him on earth, but he knew of a greater promise, and he set his gaze and his focus on that. And the same is true for you. The same is true for me and all believers down through the ages. We have a greater promise of being in the presence of the Lord. So be steadfast. Wait for that heavenly city. Verses 11 and 12. By faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child when she was past the age because she judged him faithful who had promised. Verse 12. Therefore, from one man... And him as good as dead, if you're looking at Abraham, you'd be like, yep, that's true. That was as good as dead. We're born as many as the stars of the sky in multitude, innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. So the descendants that came from these two that were past the age of, of having children, you know, they're 90 years old, 100 years old, and they're going to have their first baby. That's why they named him Laughter. 
Joke's on us, you know? And, and yet it was a fulfillment of the promise of what God was doing, and they believed. And now Sarah had her moments where she laughed. Sarah had the moment where she offered up Hagar. Abraham had his moments where he had lapses of faith. But what we read here is she judged him faithful. Who's the him? Is it Abraham or is it God? It's God. She didn't look at herself. She looked at him. And I would ask you to have this same faith for the impossible. Like, yeah, but I don't have the abilities. It's not about you. I don't see the resources. It's not about resources. It is about him. Who do you judge to be faithful? Well, I just have a hard time trusting God. I think he's offended by that. What do you think? If I came to you and I said, hey, man, I don't trust you. I just, no offense, but I don't trust you with anything. You would be like, why? What did I do? That's, I, I find that offensive. What, what about my character? I've never done anything to you. We would be insulted if we said this to each other. I just don't trust you. Now, maybe you've given somebody a good reason, but if you've not given them a good reason, why wouldn't you? Who do you judge God to be? Do you judge God to be faithful or unfaithful? Because if you judge him to be faithful, then you'll step out and you will stay and you will wait for the impossible to take place. But if you don't judge him to be faithful, you're going to hold back. You're not going to step out. You won't remain in the place where the Lord has called you. You won't believe him for the impossible. This is about how, who is your God and what kind of person do you think he is? If you think he's faithful, then you're, you're willing to, to walk it out. Abraham's faith produced an innumerable nation, we read there in verse 12. God delights to take the weak and the impossible and produce something powerful and amazing. So why do we fret when he makes us weak, when he makes us vulnerable? God's setting up a miracle. That's what he's doing. Now, why don't we see God working miracles? Go step out into the vulnerable. Go, go step out into the weakness of yourself. Step out in those places as God leads you, and then you can see the power of God show up. But as long as we do, we only step out into things that I can control and I have a backup plan for, and I am certain that it can go and it can work, then where does God need to come in there? Step out where if God doesn't show up, it fails. Now there's a place where you're going to see the Spirit of God moving and working. As I said last week, now don't just go make some, you know, kind of fleshly decision and, you know, say, well, I'll jump off the pinnacle of the temple and I'll do that. And then God will have to bear me up with his angels because my foot won't, you know, dash a stone. No, no, that was the temptation that Satan gave to Jesus to force God's hand. I'm not saying force God's hand. I'm saying follow God's leading. And if you're following God's leading, it will be faith and don't worry about the resources or your limitations. The, more, the, the weaker you are, the more limitations you have, the fewer resources you have, the more likely it is that God wants to do something. Isn't that, the, isn't that what we see in Scripture? But we are in a place where we often only step out into those places that I can anticipate and I can control and I can mitigate the loss, I can handle it, I can absorb it. But Abraham and Sarah, they had faith for the impossible. We're going to close with these uh, next uh, few verses here, verses 13 through 16. And we see that they have faith to live as pilgrims. 
These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind the country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better, that is, a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. So they were a, a, you know, a little band of pilgrims and sojourners. He had, they had the established back in, in Ur, but they left that to become a pilgrim, a sojourner. They said, this is how we're going to live. This is our relationship to the world. And so our relationship should be with the world today. Peter says this, 1 Peter 2.11, Beloved, I beg you, as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. That's, that's who we are. We are just passing through this place. We are pilgrims, we're sojourners. How many of you have ever packed up the U-Haul, the Ryder, or the Hurst-Pinsky truck and made the road trip with all your belongings? How many of you have done that? Maybe down the road, okay. So especially if you're going, you got multiple days or hours you know, journey. As you're going and you come to that first hotel the first night with your 25-foot truck full of everything you have, you don't say, ah, oh, man, my recliner's right in the middle of the truck. I got to get that out. You got to get it out. You're going to have to unpack half that truck. I know, but I love my recliner. Yeah, but we're just staying here for a few hours. I have to have my recliner. That would be ridiculous. That would be infuriating. And if I was helping you move, I would be gone. <laughs> you know, saying, like, no, 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 I'm not playing that game. We're not doing that. You know, you wouldn't set up shop. You know, we're traveling. Okay, let's go to the Chamber of Commerce. Let's go find out what's going on in this city. Why? We're just passing through. Well, yeah, I know, but we're here. No, we're going to be gone in three hours. Forget about this city. Get gas, get food, let's go. Pilgrim mentality. Anybody like to backpack? Anybody like to do that? Pilgrim mentality. You take as few things as you possibly need. It's part of the fun of it, right? I can live on just these things. I took a couple of packing trips when I was a youth pastor out in California. And we went through what to pack, what not to pack. But we knew that once we got to the trailhead, we had to go through the kids' packs. So we opened it up, gallon of water. What do you have a gallon of water for? Well, my mom said I had to have water. No, you, this thing is staying here. We're not taking a gallon of water up that mountain. There are streams and all the rest, which is another story. There wasn't streams. But uh, <laughs> for another message, that was a scary, that was a scary trip. Not my fault. <laughs> it wasn't. It was the Marine's fault. He said, I asked this guy, hey, Robert, he's with the Lord now. I said, I go, hey, Robert, we're going. Can you read a compass? He goes, dude, I'm a Marine. I'm like, is that a yes? He goes, I'm a Marine. Yeah, the Marine got us on the wrong trail and there was no streams. It was, it was, it was, it was a little scary. But anyway, not my fault. So um, you take as little as you possibly need. Well, you're a pilgrim. You're a backpacker. You know, you're just traveling through this world to a final destination, which is heaven. Don't get weighed down with this world. Don't get so plugged into this world that it's all you can see and it's all you live for. 
Not only, I mean, if we can think about it from that angle and how we should have such a light touch on this world, but let's look at it from another angle. 1 John 2, 16 and 17. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, it is not of the Father, but it is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. Do you want that which is going to go poof? Or do you want that which is going to last for 10 million years in eternity? Like the first day, that's what that would be. We want to live for those things that are going to last. And we can get so locked into this world, so locked into our careers, so locked into our, you know, building a retirement, so locked into our families and our health that we're not willing to step out. I got to be a good steward of my stuff. If being a good steward of your stuff means you go and you die in the name of Jesus, then that's what you do. Well, no, I've got to take care of these things. I, I mean, I put a lot of money into this. My career is finally at that place. Hey, if the Lord tells you to go, the smartest thing you can do is go. I talked to two brothers this past week, and they told me that when they, both of them were about a year and a half away from getting their pension, and the Lord said, go start a church. And I'm like, yeah, but I'm so close. They both ended up walking away before they had it done. And they're like, everybody thought we were crazy and nuts. And the Lord is just blessing their ministries. And they're reaching their communities for the gospel. You know, this is not our home. Heaven is our home. And we need to live like we're going to be there and please the Lord. And verse 15 And truly, if they called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. Here, don't look back. Make the decision and don't look back. You guys remember the song by Stephen Curtis uh, Chapman, you know, Burn the Ships? Anybody remember that song? I loved that song. That song came out after we had come from California. We came here. I used to play that song all the time. It's like there's no going back. Stay here. This is what God's called you to do. And if you keep looking back to what God called you out of, it can be a snare. And again, verse 16 just talks about how they they didn't look back, but they looked forward to this uh, heavenly country that the Lord had for them. I believe the Lord wants to stir us up. I believe he wants us to be a people of faith because we count him faithful. And if he's faithful, then if he says go, I go. If he says stay, I stay. Don't you agree with that? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the way you lead us and guide us. I pray that you will move in our hearts at this moment. Lord, stir us to those points of decision, whether it's to to be just solidified in where we are right here and the things that are going on, to stand fast and wait, not grow weary, then, Lord, give us the faith for that. If it's time for us to step out in a new direction, then, Lord, I pray that you will give us the faith to step out. And, Lord, if we are in that place where we just can't even hear you or see you because we're so locked on to this which is passing away, then would you pry our fingers off of our grip of this world today? May we be more concerned with pleasing you than fulfilling some dream that we or somebody else has for us. We want to fulfill the dreams you have for us, Lord. We want to follow you. We want to be all in on what you're doing. But thank you for these examples. 
of men and women of faith that trusted you when everything in the world said, it's not going to happen. And yet, Lord, you did it. You're faithful. Speak to the Lord. Say, Lord, I'll do whatever you want me to do. And I don't have to see it all laid out in front of me. I'll just, I'll do it, Lord. I'll do what you want me to do. And if that means staying, I'm going to stay. If that goes, I am your servant. Don't hold back. As we close in the song, keep doing business with the Lord. Allow him to move in your heart. If you've never received Christ as your Savior, you've never even taken that first step of faith and trusting him, then we'd love to have you come up. We want to share with you how you can grow and become a, uh, enter into a relationship with the Lord so that the hope of the heavenly city will be yours. The good news as we shared it, embrace that, believe it. The Lord loves you.